Heavenly Father, sometimes we, we want to shout glory, 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 and I pray that every heart in here shouts glory at the news of you rising from the grave. For this event in history changed the world as we know it. Lord, let us draw near to you now at this tomb, at this time in the Gospel of Matthew. Draw us nearer to you to hear your word proclaimed. And for the first time, for folks in here who may not know who you are, let them hear your voice calling out their name so that they may know who you are and profess a faith in you. Lord, let the words that come from my mouth not be of me, but be of you. Let us worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, if you've been following along with your bingo card here, your bulletin, we, uh, we opened the, the service with Go Tellin' on the Mountain. We just sang Were You There, which is an Easter song, and you're all probably thinking right now, oh, he's crumbled under, under the pressure. <laughs> this poor boy doesn't know what day it is. <laughs> we're, we're in August. <laughs> He's singing Christmas and Easter, but no, that was all, that was all for, uh, on purpose, because um, yes, we are coming to, uh, um, we have this week and next week, coming to an end with our Gospel of Matthew journey that really took us from um, the post-Easter, so that was, what, about April maybe, late April, and then into, into the summer, May and into the summer, where we walked through the Gospel of Matthew kind of more on a survey of sorts, not so much chapter by chapter, uh, but with the, uh, with the intent of coming to see Jesus. We wanted to bring everyone to his feet, to the mountaintop for the Sermon on the Mountain, to the, the place where, where they were lowering friends down in. I mean, we wanted you there and wanted, you, wanted us all to see and hear the teachings of Jesus so that we would leave this place with a renewed sense of mission and call that Matthew calls us to here uh, at the end of his gospel next week to go and tell, to tell the story that we have just heard. And so hopefully you have had a chance possibly to maybe even just pray on that, to pray on the opportunity to share this with someone in your life, uh, to share this with a neighbor or a coworker or a family member, a friend, to share the things that you have learned here and to possibly, you know, invite them. Invite them along. Invite them to a small group meeting. Invite them to your house on a Sunday morning. I give you permission to, to stay home one Sunday and watch it online and cook them breakfast and as a, as a means to invite them to, to be a part of our community here uh, because the message of Christ, the gospel in which we are going to fully reveal today with the resurrection is just so, it's too important to just hide it under a uh, bushel, as it were. And so hopefully that is what you saw, and that is what has been stirring in your hearts. And so today, we're going to stir it up a little bit more, and we are going to go to, uh, to the tomb. Uh, we we're leaving the cross, and we're heading on to the tomb uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. So my question to you to start off today is this. That was all free information. My question for you to start off today is how many... Of my friends, comrades in arms, how many of us in here are December babies? Have been born in December. Raise them up really, really high. Really high. Okay, good, good. How many are of the how many are beginning December? Early December? Okay. You don't count anymore. How many are late December? Late December babies? Who's back there? Hey, David Price. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I am on December 23rd, two days before the big guy. 
And so that is, was always very interesting growing up. But it's not only my birthday that's on December 23rd. My sister, who is four years younger than me, is also born on December 23rd. And my cousin on my mom's side, two years older than me, so I'm in the middle, is also born on December 23rd. And so in my household, growing up, December was a big deal. It was a fantastic month. And people always say, well, didn't it, didn't it stink that you had your birthday, you know, two days before Christmas and, and all that? And I said, no, not really, because we always had a big party. It was always, I, and I had my own cake, probably shouldn't have, but I had my own cake, and my sister had her own cake, and my cousin had his own cake. And we were all together, grandparents were there, and, and it was a great old time, you know? And December is just, for me, it's just, um, even now, it's just a fantastic month. There's, people are in festive moods most of the time, and, and there is, you know, lights, and it's cold, and you get to have hot chocolate. You get to go to parties, and they serve cocktail meatballs. How many people love a good cocktail meatball? Yes, right? Aren't they amazing? That, that I mean, that in itself, forget manna, the Lord should have rained that down. But anyways... And then, of course, Christmas. And they said, well, people would say, well, well your birthday presents. Did you, did you get some Christmas as birthday presents? I never knew the difference. My mom always made it, made it that we, she would wrap up birthday presents in birthday paper and Christmas presents in Christmas paper. Now, if my birthday presents were like a gift card to some place that was like $25 gift card to there, and she's like, happy birthday. I'm like, it's okay. Color TV's coming in two days. I get it. I understand. Like, I knew that... <laughs> based off of what was happening on my birthday, what was going to happen at Christmas. Now, for me, Christmas, and to any child, is the best day of the year. And any of you that have been in this church know exactly where I'm going. Growing up, Christmas was the best day of the year. My, my birthday's two days before. It is my and Jesus's month. It is great. Now, imagine my surprise when I moved to Florida at the age of 17, and my first church service at Mandarin Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, Florida, where the former, uh, well, he's not former, he's still, uh, Dr. Jerry Kasberg was the associate pastor, and my future father-in-law was the senior pastor. I didn't know him at the time. And I walk in, and I hear my father-in-law, Kevin, say, Easter is the best day of the year. And I think, nay, nay. It is not. You are wrong. <laughs> Easter, I mean, Easter's great, but I'm like, this is boring. I mean, we don't even get good food. You get ham. I mean, but I like ham. But I mean, there's just, but it's hot. It's Florida. It was, it was sweltering hot in April. I got an Easter basket with some chocolate. I'm like, chocolate's great, but uh, what, I mean, you know, it's no cocktail meatball. Uh, and so I'm sitting there thinking he's out of his mind. But as time moved on, as it happens, and I dive deeper into my faith, seminary education, discipleship from folks, you know, I do come to realize that, well, he was absolutely right. Easter is 100% the best day of the year. Christmas holds a close second. I know we joke that the second best day of the year is Mother's Day. Uh, and Mother's Day is very important, but uh, for our purposes today, I'm going to hold both of these events up, because they're both very, very significant, and they're both related, we're going to see. 
I didn't see this, I, and I keep telling y'all, like, I didn't see it, and they're like, Did, have you ever read the Bible? I have, but I just, I, as I was studying this hyper today, uh, or this week, it was something that jumped out at me, how connected the resurrection is to the nativity. But Easter, Easter pulls through. It takes the cake as the best day. So that, where are we at? We have just left the cross. So the last two weeks, we had a mini two-part service that took us to the foot of the cross to, to witness the events of the crucifixion. And we learned two overarching truths about coming to the foot of the cross of what the cross means. The first one is that I wanted to communicate to you all that the cross is very real. It happened in real time at a real moment of history, once and for all, opening up the doors of salvation for everyone. We talked about how Jesus was both the sacrificial and the scapegoat. He was both of those things to take away the sins and to pay for the sins for us once and for all. And then the second week, which was last week, the overarching truth that I gave you was that the cross of Christ tears down the walls once and for all of separation, the walls of, of hostility, the wall of shame and guilt, and the wall of eternal death, death in terms of eternal separation from God. And so where we are in our gospel now, he has been prepared for burial. He's, he's dead. He's been prepared for burial, and they have laid him in the tomb, and they have sealed the tomb off. In fact, the chief priests and all the, all the folks, they actually made sure of it, that it was good and sealed, because they knew that Jesus said that in three days' times he would rise again. And so they wanted to make sure that none of his followers would come and take the body. So they made sure it was good and sealed up so nothing of that could happen. But of course, we know exactly what happened. So here we are at this empty tomb this morning. Faithful women are in attendance again. To them, it's just another day. You know, they're not thinking about all this kind of stuff. They're coming to, to, to do the rest of the, the burial stuff that they wanted to do and, and things like that. But for us, we get to stand and look down on it, a whole cloud of witnesses and the whole canon of Scripture, and we get to understand the significance of this empty tomb and of this Easter morning, where time itself almost starts over. We get a newness. The pangs and groans of creation are, are beginning to be answered, and where we not only find our salvation, but our hope for the new age to come because this tomb is now empty. If the cross of Christ tears down walls, then Easter, the resurrection, the best day ever, begins the foundation work of this new age, of this gospel that needs to be preached, that the grave is now empty and that Jesus is risen. If the cross of Christ can tear down the walls, the resurrection begins building up this new age that we are beginning to walk into. Christmas is great, it's wonderful, but it just begins the march to Calvary. It does not see the victory that Easter brings. And so today we talk about the best day ever, a new day, a new day dawns today. And we walk into what the resurrection of Christ truly means. You ready? How many of you are excited? Now the, the risk of this is that when we get to Easter, and if I'm here to preach on that Easter message, I may just, just do this again. So, you know, 
<laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. It's fine. A new day dawns the best day of the year. This is what I want you to do. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you could, please. We're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And then put your thumb there and then flip over to Luke, chapter 2. 8 through 16, those are pages uh, 1018 to 1019. Now, normally we don't try to have this big long reading of Scripture. Will you all um, humor me today? Can we do that? Can I read you the Gospel of Matthew, read you the Gospel of Luke, and let's dive in? Because we're going to hold up the nativity and the resurrection, see how they are connected, but then leave here today knowing why Easter is the best day of the year, okay? Let's do that. Let's do that. All right, here we go. Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. So now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, on the way, Jesus met them and said, greetings. I love that. Like, they're all, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, all they've seen is the empty tomb. They're on the way to tell the disciples all that they have seen. And there pops up Jesus. And he's like, hey. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that is just like insane. It's like the original April Fool's joke. He's like, I'm here, you know. And, and, but there's, that greetings is a very, very powerful greeting there. In the, in the Greek, what he's basically saying to them is grace to you. He's, he's bringing the embodiment of grace. But it, in the English, it just sounds so flippant. And they came up and took hold of his feet very important, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now jump over to Luke, and we rewind time here a little bit. And we're going to go to Luke, verses 8 through 16, and we go back to the beginning. And this is the famous passage. This is the uh, Charlie... Um, um, and the Peanuts verse here, right? Charlie Brown, thank you. I had Charlie in the chocolate factory. I'm still in Easter. And this is what he said. This is what the Bible says in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Luke. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We're beginning to start seeing some similarities here. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be, will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was 
with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so we got two accounts. We've got two holidays in our calendar. We got Christmas, we got Easter that's happening here. And there's some significant similarities. These events are connected because this is how God works. God doesn't wake up one day and think, oh, I'll try that. Like he has like a plan and a purpose. There's a method. There is intense care to make sure that his creation, his fallen creation, has a chance to be redeemed and returned to him. That should, to borrow a phrase from my predecessor, roll your socks up and down. That God loves you that much. Even the likes of you. Even through all the bad things and all the bad things that I have done or will ever do, there's still more bad things to come, I'm sure. That in spite of all of that, there is a meticulous plan that has begun since Genesis when he gave them clothes, to now here at the nativity and then at the resurrection. There is a plan of redemption by his hand. And so it's no surprise that we see connections between the nativity and the resurrection because he's weaving all of this together. Let's look. So the first similarity that I would see here <clears throat> is that both groups of people, the Marys and the shepherds, the first thing that they are visited by is what? Angels, right. There's an angel visitation that happens. Both stories involve angels, and both angels say to them what common phrase? Fear not or do not be afraid, right. I think it's kind of funny that in Matthew's text at the resurrection, he says to the women, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're going to see some weird stuff. You're going to see some things here that are really going to, to shake you to your core. Please don't be afraid because this is just the beginning. We've got a lot more to go that's going to happen because of this. But to the Roman guards, he allowed them to fall down like dead men. <laughs> they fell down in fear. It's like, it's like, be afraid, be very afraid. But he says to the women, hold on, hold on. We've got stuff and you've got stuff to do. And in it, I think there's also an implication, I feel, this is my opinion, I didn't see this in commentaries or in my research, but my opinion, I feel there is even a callback to the angel visitation to Mary, the mother of Jesus, where he says, greetings, grace to you, favored one, tells her to not be afraid, and then promises the Lord is with her. I, I for me, I think that's embedded in here. I think that is. And if it isn't, then when I die and see Jesus, I'll say, listen, my edit for your scriptures here is to make sure that that's there. The promise that the Lord is with them. Because we know he is. He is. And not just as a spirit, but fully resurrected. And the shepherds receive the same type of visitation. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. And both of these parties are, are um, invited to go and see the physical location of the physical Savior. 
You get that? Go see the baby where it is currently lying. And then the angels tell Mary, the Marys, go into Galilee because that's where you're going to find him. You're going to find the actual him, the fully resurrected body him. That's very important because heretics, 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 heretics want us to think that this is all a farce, that there's a dead body someplace that got moved but here in the scriptures, no, there is a drive to see the physical bodily, the physical body of our Savior. The second similarity I see are the unlikely witnesses to the greatest events in history, which is just so profound. And it points us to this great teaching that we are the humble ones to what God is actually doing. That, that redemption and, and being saved is never going to come from our hand. Can't. It's got to come from his. And so he, he works through the unlikely people God does. Even in the Old Testament, he works through the unlikely people to further his, his plan of redemption. It wasn't Cain, the firstborn of Adam and Eve, because he killed his brother Abel. It was Seth, the last one, the thirdborn. It wasn't going to be Esau, the twin that was born first. It was going to be Jacob. It wasn't Joseph's brothers. It was Joseph, the youngest. It wasn't David. He was going to be, it wasn't David's older brothers. It was going to be David. God is always working through the unlikely people to bring about what he's going to do. And that's no different than at the nativity and at the resurrection. See, at the nativity, you may have heard this before, the shepherds are untrustworthy people, and they are not permitted to testify in courts. Their witness is invalid. They are to go work out in the fields with animals, be dirty. I don't even know if they can even come into temple, really. And the angel shines upon them and says, go see this baby. And they go and see this baby, and the scriptures tell us that they leave praising God. They leave with a message, with the gospel, that the Savior has come into this world. And the Marys, the women at the resurrection, we also know that at the time, women were not to be trusted in, with, with testimony either. It was probably because they just didn't value their mental capacity to be able to withhold all those things, which is just ludicrous, because you see that they're the only ones that are faithful that are there the entire time. And God speaks through them, but not only speaks through them, the angel tells them to go and tell the disciples where Jesus is at. Then Jesus meets them, and then the Savior says to the women, go and tell my disciples. The women receive apostleship in absentia. Do you see that? See, the church, church doesn't want to call these women apostles. But my definition of apostle, of someone who has a message to send, to bring, is what I'm seeing with these ladies here. Now, the, that doesn't detract from the original disciple, uh, apostles and what they're going to do. But right here, unlikely witnesses. God chooses to communicate the unbelievable acts of his child being born of a virgin and his child being raised from the dead to people who aren't believable. Why on earth would he do that? And it's to call us to all to remember, don't get too big for britches. 
that what he's doing in this tapestry of redemption is by his hands. And we're not going to be able to bring it about by our power and by our works and by how good we think we are and what we can do. It's going to be by him and his invitation for us to be a part of this great dance, this great relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? It's very profound, it's very important, and it's consistent with all the Scripture. It's the unlikely people that get to have the fun, that get to have the, the, the moving along of this plan of redemption. And then lastly, and this is a really quick one, the third similarity that I see uh, in there is the movement with haste. Both groups move quickly after receiving the message from the angels. There is a hasteness, there is a quickness to come and go and see the, the physical body of Jesus Christ, to, to see that. And I wonder if with us, because this is something that I've been hammering home in every message, the urgency of going and telling people, I wonder if we have lost our urgency in some ways as a church, really in America? Have we lost our sense of urgency? Have we gotten too comfortable in our pews and our programs and our buildings? And then COVID happens and everything gets powered down. And do we have the sense of urgency in our current context to reach the loss with this message? Or are we just expecting people just to, well, they'll come in when they can? I don't see that in Scripture. Go and tell. Go. Go get them. Go and tell because great things are happening. Other similarities that were in there, and I've, I've already highlighted them, the search for the physical body and the person of Christ, the unlikely witnesses, and the movement with haste. So if the nativity and the resurrection have all of these similarities. Why then is Easter elevated as the best day of the year? Why then is Easter elevated as a new day dawning? It was morning when they came to them. That's very important. Why then is this the best day of the year? Well, because we read it already in Matthew 28, there is a phrase that is used in the resurrection that is not used in the nativity. In the nativity, the powerful phrase the angels use is, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy has come. Joy has come into the world. There is a, there is a hope for what is about to happen. But in the resurrection, the angel gives the most powerful, confrontational, transformational, convicting phrase ever to be written in human history. And the phrase is this. Do you all know it? What is it? He is not here. Read it with me. Verse 6 if you can. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. He has risen. He has been raised just as he said. Come see where he was lying is another way to kind of get a sense of what the Greek is saying there. That the dead body that you are coming to see, ladies, is not in this tomb. 
that, that the impossible has happened, that the uh, human has loosened themselves from the grip of death. He's not here. Death has been conquered. We talked about that last week, that the, the separation wall of eternal death and separation has now been rendered to rubble. He is not here. He is not here. Don't come looking for him in here. It has been accomplished. If the tomb is still occupied, if Jesus were to be still lying in state, we saw the royals. Remember the uh, Prince uh, Philip when he died? And usually, some pre usually presidents when they die, they have them lie in state, right? And you can come and see the body. If Jesus is still lying in state, then we don't need to be here today. Let's all go to Bob Evans. You know, somebody, one of you buy me breakfast, please, thanks. You know, we, we don't need to be in this room. It all falls apart. If Jesus is still in the tomb, as C.S. Lewis says, then he was a lunatic. He had great ideas. He had great ideals. He caused a ruckus in the government, but then died for those beliefs. Who would attach their life mission to something that had failed like that? It just does not happen. And not only that, he is not here, also just flies in the face of all the schemes of man that tried to stop this from the nativity, Herod, who killed all the newborn babies, and now here at the resurrection, the chief priests and scribes who bribed the guards to say something different so that this story doesn't get out, and they all failed, one by one, just fell apart. Paul, the best crucifier of Christians, well, God took care of him too. And like dominoes just falling apart, and he comes to witness the gospel. There is power in this gospel. There's power, and he is not here. Because if he is still there, then this is all fake and smoke and mirrors. But he's not. He's not there. He has been raised. And the language in the Greek that is being used, it is a completed action. He has been fully raised. And then the angels say to Mary and them, go and find him. Go and see him. And before they send them out, the angel even invites the ladies in to see where Jesus had been lying. Past tense. Shepherds were told to go see where Jesus is lying. They were called to see where he had laid. Because he's not there, he's been fully raised, and he is on the move. So now go and tell. Go get the disciples, let them know. They go into Galilee just as he has promised so that they can see them. And then when they are interrupted on their journey and Jesus says, hey, they fall down and don't miss it. They physically touch his feet. So he's not raised as an ideal He's not raised in spirit form. He is raised in true body. The fully human, the fully divine Christ, the resurrection has been accomplished. And now, now salvation is, is, is completely open and available to those who, who bow and have faith and worship at those feet and trust that he is the Christ. And it's not so much just being filled up with joy, which is great, but now it's greetings and grace to you. He's not here. Don't look here. He's been raised and he is out moving. So what is our story to tell, folks? What is our story to tell? 
It is to leave here with the same sense of urgency as the shepherds and the Marys had. That same sense of urgency to tell people that the tomb is empty and that makes all the difference. That says to you that God cared for you that much that he sent his son to die for you to be risen again so that not only are our sins paid for and that we are, our sins are removed forever, but now we can be living in the promise that a resurrection will occur, that death is not the final answer. There is more to come and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be wild and it's going to be the greatest thing we've ever seen. And I want you to know about it. So leave here in haste. You've been to the tomb. You've seen it empty. Yeah, we don't get to touch like, like the Marys did, but we have the Holy Spirit that continues to convict us of the truth of everything that I just said here today. He is not here. He is risen. He's gone. Go, go. Tell people of who he is. Because it's a brand new day. A new day dawns. The best day ever. Let us pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for the promise of the resurrection. <laughs> that, that not only did you die, but you rose again. Which means that if we place our faith in that, if we lean into that with everything that we have, if we fully trust in the fact that you are calling our name to be a part of your family, Lord, and we accept that invitation, God, mm. how can we live our lives differently because of that promise? How can, we, how can we live with haste in our step to try to tell everyone, loved ones, people who are lost about this great promise and about this great day? Christmas was wonderful. And the whole world celebrates it, and they probably don't even realize why they celebrate it, Lord. But remind us all of the best day of the year, because it is where victory was won, and where victory is, is available to us to one day be with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.